Hi, my name is Mark Willeman, the host of Supervisory Basics, a 12-episode podcast series that examines how first-time managers can effectively transition to effective leaders. This podcast series is based on the popular Supervisory Basics training program from the Impact Achievement Group, a training and performance management consulting company. The Supervisory Basics training program consists of 12 individual yet linked two-hour training modules delivered in leader-led or e-learning formats. For more information, please visit impactachievement.com. This is Episode 2, and the topic is Helping First-Time Supervisors Understand the Value of a Customer for Life. Joining me to discuss today's topic is Rick Tate, Senior Managing Partner at Impact Achievement Group. Mr. Tate is an internationally recognized expert on leadership and management development and customer loyalty. Rick is a faculty member for the Institute of Management Studies and the author of the best-selling book, Leadership in the Customer Revolution, and the recently released book, People Leave Managers, Not Organizations. Rick's training programs have been translated into a dozen languages, and he speaks to literally thousands of people a year, from senior executives to frontline employees. His client list is extensive and reads like a who's who of business. Welcome, Rick. Nice to be here, Mark. Rick, the topic we are discussing today is helping first-time supervisors understand the value of a customer. This seems obvious. Is understanding the importance of a customer a widespread problem for newly promoted managers? Understanding the importance of a customer is a widespread problem regardless whether you're new or whether you've been in the job for a number of years. I kind of need to be clear here. I mean, almost everyone will say the customer is important. But unfortunately, often it's just lip service. It's words and not real action. Running a business or a department within a business with the goal of creating real value for the customer is rare indeed. Like you said, it would seem like this should be a blinding flash of the obvious. Uh, However, it's not. Customer satisfaction has declined in the last 15 years in almost every industry. And today's customer continues to shake their head in dismay at the business experience they receive and how cavalier they that those businesses treat their patronage. A recent study of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies indicated that 90% of them stated that their company was focused on the customer, and 80% of that group stated their business delivered a superior customer experience. However, only 8% of those customers said they received a superior experience. Clearly a disconnect. Our premise is if the top is disconnected, it is clear how easy it is for newly promoted supervisors or managers to lose the importance of the customer. Just about every department in every organization plays some role in creating value for customers. But why is the role managers play so critical, especially for first-time supervisors? Yeah, That's a great question and one that plagues uh, many companies. A major flaw in thinking regarding customer loyalty and customer service, especially, is that it, it's a it's a frontline problem. That the training and execution is is really the focus of the frontline. We have seen vast amounts of time and money spent training the frontline employees to take care of customers, only to see very little return on that investment. The reason customer care, customer loyalty, customer service, however you frame it, is a management issue. What the supervisor or manager pays attention to, what he or she gets excited about, what they measure, what topics receive feedback, 
That's what gets the behavior of frontline employees. And the quality of the frontline employee is really no different relative to basic competitors. All one needs to do is go to In-N-Out Burger in Southern California who draws from the same young gene pool that their competition does to see the fundamental difference in the environment in which those frontline people are managed and led. The manager or supervisor is the one that sets the tone in any department as to what customers focus on. You know, without some business acumen and understanding of why customers do business with a company, it's easy for newly promoted supervisors or managers, and ones who've been in place for a while, for that matter, to take their eyes off the ball. Frontline employees will march to the drumbeat of their manager, and that drumbeat should include a focus on the customer. Would you discuss what business acumen is and how it relates to the customer experience? Well, it's a complex subject. Business acumen includes a wide variety of specific elements, Mark. But for our purpose, we narrow it down to an understanding of how the company makes money. And that may seem overly simplistic. But companies make money in several different ways. Specifically, making money comes through influencing the customer to spend their money with you. Customers make that choice through their perception of the value proposition that is offered. Some choose quality above all else. Others choose price in relation to the products and services they want, while others see the business experience, that is, the service they receive as the tipping point, while others identify with their own perceptions of a brand name. These are not independent elements either, Mark. Customers will often look at trade-offs of each and identify one, maybe two, as the tipping point that influences their choice. Thus, the primary goal of every department or workbook in a company is to help the organization make money. This requires thorough knowledge of what specifically influences the customer's choice and ensuring that the output of the work group or department truly leverages that choice. As someone once said, without customers, you don't have a business, you only have a hobby. Why is this message so important for the new manager or supervisor? Well, the message is important for any manager or supervisor. However, it's critical for newly promoted managers or supervisors to be customer-focused for two specific reasons. One, during the first few months, the newly promoted person is in the throes of a fast learning curve, and he or she will have lots of things coming at them to deal with, all competing for attention. It is extremely easy to lose sight of the customer during this learning curve. If they have no training or acumen regarding the value and behavior of customers, customers will certainly take the back seat to all other issues. The second reason is the newly promoted supervisor or manager has the opportunity to set a new tone for the people he or she manages. Despite the history of the work group or department, the newly promoted person gets to set new expectations and new measurements early on, thus changing the focus of any work group. Coming in with enthusiasm for customers and a focus for ensuring the work is leveraged to create customer value can often be easier than an embedded manager attempting to turn around a group in midstream. You talk about the dangers of viewing a customer as a transaction and how customers should be viewed as assets. What's the difference? Well, this is a constant problem for many companies. Often customers are treated like a mere transaction. That is, they are only seen in the moment. It is as if a company doesn't believe customers have memories, memories that will decide where they spend their money in the future. Take, for example, the supermarket industry. A customer a mother of a family of four, buys $150 of groceries while shopping. Is this the transaction, what the customer is really worth? Is this narrow focus why she might be hassled attempting to return a product from that specific shopping outing? That is, is the company overly concerned with losing part of that $150 from that specific event? Studies show 
that if a grocery store can gain the loyalty of that type of customer, they can easily earn about $100,000 over 10 years. This lifetime value is how customers should be seen, not the specific transaction of any given day. It's our bias that a $100,000 asset will be taken care of much better in every situation than a $150 transactional event. Will you discuss the principles of customer loyalty, brilliant at the basics, be the customer, under-promise, over-deliver, remarkable recovery? Those are some of the topics discussed in the article, and give some examples of these. Sure. Over the years, we've attempted to identify commonalities of those companies that have earned a great reputation for taking care of their customers. While each of these do things differently depending upon industry, customer segmentation, business to business, and such, we have identified four basic principles that serve as a foundation to their execution and customer focus. The first principle is what we call brilliant at the basics. A common misnomer is the issue of wowing the customers by adding value. The basics come first. There is no wow without operational excellence. You can't add value to something that's not there. As Roger Dow of the Marriott Company once stated, no amounts of mints on the pillow will make up for an unclean room or a TV that doesn't work. (laughs) This really sums up this principle. Take, for instance, the Nordstrom Company's excellent user-friendly return policy. It's great because they sell quality products and attempt to ensure that you leave with what fits you and will suit you best. You can take Federal Express. They have an added value of online tracking, so it makes it convenient for you to track your own package. This is only good because they get the package there 98 point something percent of the time. If they did it 75% of the time, it would just be an inconvenience. This principle is the foundation of a superior customer experience. The second principle is the process of being able to see your job from where the customer stands with exactly the same filter the customer has. We borrowed our label for this principle from Fergal Quinn, an exceptional retailer in Ireland. We call it Be the Customer. Nothing replaces the ability to feel the business in exactly the same manner as the customer does. I was back in Orlando not that long ago dealing with a group of hotel people and during the session on customer service. One of them asked me whether or not I would use their hotel chain, and I said at times, but I wasn't loyal. He said, what could we do? Just one thing that would earn more uh, of my money. And I said, that's pretty simple, express check-in. He seemed a little shocked. He said, that's it. And I said, you have everything everybody else does. You're a good operation, but you don't have express check-in. And as a business traveler, I kind of like that. Anyway, to make a long story short, he told me that they were making a move to improve the experience at the front desk, to make it a better quality experience to wow their customers when they first came in. I once again stated that I didn't really care about a great front desk experience, and he asked me to explain why not. And that's when Fergal's words, be the customer, always come back. And I asked him to step in my shoes and experience his business from my side of the counter. And I told him my typical day is a 6 o'clock wake-up time with eight hours in a session with a client, jumping on a cab, hitting the airport, going through TSA, Uh, going three hours across country, two time zones with two bags of peanuts and rare and, you know, rarefied air. I said, by the time I get to your city, it's about 10 o'clock. And after I wait for luggage and get into another cab or rental car, I'm on my way to your hotel by 11. In the cab, I'm thinking of, 
you know, another six o'clock wake up call and a two hour flight the next day. And basically the only thing going through my mind is I want to get to bed as fast as I can. I asked him if he was, if he was really with me on this one. He said, I think so. I said, just imagine me then showing up at your hotel and walking in with my luggage and having one of your employees say, Mr. Tate, we've been expecting you. I have your key right here. Let's get you to your room as quick as I can. I said, are you with me at that moment in time? He said, yeah. And I said, well, imagine me in your wildest fantasies looking at your employee and saying, no, I'd rather have a great experience at a front desk. <laughs> and I think that kind of points it out, is that uh, when we don't see the business from that side of the counter, uh, we make a big mistake because the customer makes their choice of spending money using their specific filters, and much of it is based on past experience and subjectivity. Therefore, the ability to understand those filters enhances the goal of creating customer value. On to the third principle. It's one that's familiar to every customer. Actually, the principle is under-promise, over-deliver. Customers are more familiar when companies fail to deliver on that principle, and that is over-promise, under-deliver. This happens routinely. Promises and commitments made to customers go unfulfilled from wait times to delivery promises to out-of-stocks to poor recovery tactics. The customer feels taken advantage of. Uh, I go back to my days with Disney years ago, and uh, I'm often intrigued. If you think about a 10-hour experience in a Disney theme park, you know, I mean, you're, you're standing in line eight of those hours, and yet people flock to go back there over and over and over again. <laughs> Lines are an unnecessary evil. I, I, I'm impressed by the way Disney manages the lines, from the distractions and the entertainment you get while in the lines to the constantly moving lines that are going on to make the time seem shorter. But most importantly, I think it's interesting that when you see that sign that says 45 minutes from this point, it's really calibrated to be 35. So you're looking at your watch expecting 45, and you get up there and think you've won. <laughs> um, I think that really really is, is magic, uh, no pun intended, for Disney. But the fact of it is, all it is, is looking at your whole business practices and say, how can we truly uh, under-promise and then over-deliver to the customers? Because keeping commitments, promises, especially when they directly or indirectly affect customers, is a good framework for any supervisor or manager to work off of. The last one is remarkable recovery. And not last, uh, it's really a critical one. Um, no single event will influence a customer to repurchase or to defect to a competitor than a recovery event, and these events can't be left to chance. Most of us have had wonderful experiences with great recovery strategies with companies such as L.L. Bean, Nordstrom, Land's End, Les Schwab, just to name a few. And we know those events bond us to the character and integrity of those companies. Those are the times in which the company gets to stand before us and tells us what they're really made of. It truly behooves any supervisor or manager to understand the business implications of recovery and ensure that their work group or department acts with speed and urgency any time they are part of a recovery situation, or even for that matter, recovery events with other departments inside their own company. I was recently working with a bank executive, and he was complaining that a customer was threatening to leave because he felt he had a $275 mistake on his uh, statement. And exec was telling me that they had done a couple months of, of research and they the problem wasn't on their end that this guy was just wrong and in our dialogue wondering what to do he asked what I would do and I said well that all depends on a number of things you know the size of the account how long he's been with you whether there's been any uh, things like this ever happened before and in the process I just happened to ask him uh, you know what size was this person's account and, 
when he when he told me that depended upon whether I was asking about his personal account or his law firm, the the issue became kind of crystal clear. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was interesting that we will uh, will take a huge investment, we will throw away lifetime value for a two hundred and seventy five dollar issue for a customer that in that case was a ten year customer who had never had any problems before. So is it an investment or a cost? And I think you have to frame it that way. And once you frame it that way, different departments involved in the strategy will act accordingly. It's a lot of great information, Rick. What are some of the barriers you have seen to adopting a customer-focused strategy? And how can businesses go about removing these barriers? Oh, boy. You know, with all the things that must be done in a company, there's such a wide variety of barriers that can get between the work and the customer. Uh, I think if there weren't so many barriers, customers would have better experiences. Something as simple as a mindset can be a barrier. Is the customer seen as an inconvenience or actually welcomed? Uh, as one operator told me recently, you know, customers come into his store and mess the product up. They get things off the shelf and, and, and messed up, and, you know, what, a, what, a, what an inconvenience that is. Another large barrier is the easy and efficient method of using things like checklists and tasks as the primary focus for measuring employee performance. These often robotic and one-size-fits-all measurement compete for the attention of employees with customers, not balancing the objective task-oriented metrics with more qualitative measures that take into account the customer's subjective perception of value is a major trap that many supervisors and managers fall into. This question brings us full circle, Mark. Creating value for customers is not a frontline issue. It's truly a management issue. Management must create balanced objectives and measures, then enthusiastically embrace customers to counteract the typical tendencies to focus on tasks, numbers, and technical responsibilities. Rick, thank you so much for your time today. For more information on the Impact Achievement Group, Supervisory Basics, and this 12-part podcast series, please visit impactachievement.com. We hope you join us next month for episode number three, where we'll discuss leaders versus independent contributors and the four basic performance management principles that come into play routinely throughout the career of a supervisor or manager. See you then.